This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, the podcast designed to help you if you've landed a leadership role through no fault of your own and now need to find out what you should be doing. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and have been there and know what it feels like and made all the mistakes. In each episode, I'll be getting to grips with a leadership topic by interviewing an expert in their field. You'll find out why they do what they do and take away some top tips you can use to become a more confident leader. For more content and to keep in touch with how the project is developing, go to www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. If you have any comments about the episode, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So let's crack on with the show. Today, I'm talking to Jane Thomas. Jane has a wealth of skills and knowledge with over 20 years of both clinical and managerial experience in the NHS. She is an experienced trainer and facilitator specializing in well-being management. She uses a guiding style of engagement, clarifying strengths, aspirations, and links these to evoke the person's motivation to change. Jane is a licensed specialist practitioner in motivational maps, using the maps to understand individual or team motivation, prompting behavioral changes to create a clear plan of action. I hope you enjoy this chat we had about managing stress, and I will catch you on the other side. So Jane, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Thank you, Mark. We uh, met some time ago and uh, we share uh, the motivational map tool that we use. And obviously we, we, um, obviously we have lots of uh, faith in that product and we use it extensively. But we are going to be talking about well-being. Uh, and that's, I think that's that links back to motivation and all the other things that come from there. But before we get stuck into that... I think we'd like to know, I definitely will be, and I'm sure um, the listeners will be interested to know why you do what you do and what was the pivotal moment that took you down that path. All right, Mark, yes. Um, well, well, my background is actually nursing. Um, I trained as a nurse at Southampton General Hospital and um, did a little bit of work around sort of uh, cardiology and then uh, went down to Poole Hospital in Dorset and worked predominantly um, across intensive coronary care. Um, we're talking about well-being today, and I suppose I thrived on the fact of you know not not knowing what was coming through the door and having to get a team of people together and and, and manage those um, challenging, I think, quite challenging and pressurised situations at times. Um, and then I went solely into into cardiology, and and fortunately I had a, a cardiologist who was very interested also in sort of the, the psychological um, aspects of, uh, of well-being um, which can be quite unique in, um, in in the medical profession and that was trying to link sort of the how we think how we behave into what was happening physically and um, we were we were seeing um, a, a lot of times that um, if people were in a poor state of mental well-being, that can also cross over into their physical physical health. Um, sadly, uh, the work that we we were doing was obviously very reactive um, because we couldn't actually have a lot of communication with our patients until we actually saw them in, in the coronary care unit. Um, after that. Um, um, I, I worked with, with a colleague and, and we um, were again fortunate to set up what we call cardiac rehabilitation at that pool hospital. And, and again, it was, it was great. It was all about educating, um, but it still was very, very reactive. 
And so I approached one of my, my directors at the time and, and we were talking about um, stress, actually. Uh, we were talking about the impact that it has on absenteeism in the, in the NHS with staff. Um, and, and in those days, it, it was very much around stress management rather than what we now look at around well-being management. And I was very fortunate and, and she allowed me to go off and, and train in, um, in that particular arena. Um, what, what became very clear to me very quickly is that um, stress is a little bit like um, you know, a wheel of a bike where that's in the center part of it, that the hub and off that come all these different spokes. Um, and it links into leadership, it links into performance management, it links into absence management, it links into team building. Um, and so I trained in all those particular areas, emotional intelligence, um, and then came back and eventually gave up my clinical role and actually worked for her and some of the other directors, um, turning teams around, looking at what we could do to help our leaders lead more effectively, uh, to help our staff manage their well-being more effectively and to reduce overall absence um, in, in, in that particular environment. And then in 2005, um, I left uh, the NHS and I set up Premier Life Skills Limited. And so Premier Life Skills Limited, uh, we now go into lots of different organizations and provide all of those sorts of, of, of training. So I suppose for me, that pivotal moment was um, using those skills that I'd seen right from the beginning of my career in nursing through to um, actually making that decision to say, I've got to go out there now and actually get this message out there. How, how can we become more healthy, both physically and mentally, and the impact that that will have, obviously, on our, on our own well-being, but not just even in the workplace, on our, on our work-life balance. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as we, as we look at the sort of tips that we need to be looking at today. Mm. That's excellent. And, and I think... But what you say about being really active and proactive is such a key thing, isn't it? Because there is so mm. much uh, that goes on which is reactive. Uh, you know, we're waiting for things to happen and then we're doing something about it. But if we can put things in place that actually are more proactive to prevent things from happening, mm. that seems like a better solution to me wherever possible. Um, and I think, Mark, what's very interesting is, is we, we do a lot of work around resilience now for organisations. And, and, and obviously, we've done a lot of research around what it is and, and how it can support organisations. And I think, amazingly, we've looked at some studies from Harvard, and they have said that um, people who are more optimistic in life generally, you know, stands a 50% chance of even having a cardiac event. And I think, you know, if we can help people to, you know, manage their or become more resilient and learn the tools around all of that, um, you know, the impact that that could even have on our health service um, is, is immense, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Excellent. So let's get stuck into this well-being topic, which you've um, already mm. highlighted and um, explained really, really well already. Um, so where, where do we start with all this? Where, where, where can we start with um, well-being on an individual basis? Okay, um, I think on an individual basis, um, people react very differently to stress. Um, what, what might cause you stress might actually cause me to feel elated, um, cause me to feel that you know, I'm really achieving, I'm really focused, I'm really motivated. And that is why I think it can be very, very hard. It can be very, very subjective. Um, and, and so as an individual, for me, one of the key points that, that we look at is, what is your tipping point? 
what, what are you aware of? And that could be a, a physical reaction. So for me, um, I, I'm very, very clear on an individual basis what triggers off what I would call that sort of stress response. And physically, what I get is a, a flickering of my eye. Now, some people may get that just generally, but for me, that is my, that's my physical trigger. And I know that when I get that flickering of my eye, if I don't start having a couple of early nights, making sure I'm sleeping effectively, then the next thing that happens is it affects my immune system. So I get mouth ulcers and I get a sore throat. And some of that then triggers into how I, how I feel emotionally. So I might be feeling more frustrated. Um, I might be less tolerant with, with people. And, then, and that might also link then into, into how I behave. So I might be a bit more irritable. Um, so I think for me, on an individual basis, it's really trying to, really trying to understand what that tipping point is. And of course, if you get to that tipping point and you don't acknowledge it, that will start to affect your performance. That will start mm. to affect your motivation, your mm. energy that mm. is absolutely needed and key to enable you to manage your well-being. That's really interesting, actually. I've never thought about that. But triggers are there. I suppose well, you mentioned about a physical trigger in your in your eye eyelash, um, uh, and and I think personally, I think I I, I mine's connected with my eyes as well. When I get stressed, my eyes get really sort of dry, and yeah, I yeah. know so. Yeah, that's. I've never really thought about that. That's very inter- interesting. But I, I guess there's also, rather than physical, there's also you know s- other s- sort of psychological um, things that, yes. and, and um, yeah. physical yeah. Um, sort of yeah psychological things that come rather than physical things. That, so there's lots of triggers that could could um, mm. could, could be going on. Yeah, Mark, triggers can be very um, individual. Uh, what what one person may see as their trigger, somebody else, um, it may not have an impact on them. So that's what we're trying to identify here, is what is it that has that impact on you personally? Right. And I, and I guess there is factors that go on internally and externally. And I was just, re- um, just remembering a couple of books I've recently read, actually, which both talked about that internal dialogue and actually um, and how we process what's happening to us and I, and I guess that's a lot to do with it isn't it it's how you process that information that's coming to you and how you yes. react to it absolutely so for instance again um for somebody processing of that in- information actually makes them feel that they've achieved makes them feel that you know they they've retained their focus um that that what they're doing is challenging to them but not overly challenging but somebody else will have that individual dialogue which is i can't do that what if this happens what if something else happens the last time i did this i was a failure um, and that, again, when all of that is playing over constantly in your mind, what actually happens is your body puts you into what we call your fight and your flight response. So if we think of our fight and flight response as being our survival mode, we need it. The body will, will, will actually make sure that if there is a, a situation, so for instance, if we were to you know, see a, a, a lion in, in a room, you need to get out of that room as quick as possible. Whereas if you, um, if you haven't got those sort of chemicals that, that will actually help you to, to go into that fight and flight response, then there's a likelihood that you're not going to get that reaction and you're just going to sit there and what's the consequences of that? That lion's going to attack you. But the problem in, in our modern day society right, is that 
our fight and flight response can be triggered off by, as you say, that negative inner dialogue. So that constantly negative thought processes will still have that fight and flight response trigger where the adrenaline, the noradrenaline, the cortisol will all actually kick, kick into, into play. But the situation isn't really a survival scenario. Right, yes, because our life is not in danger, but no. it's almost that we're reacting as if it is. As if it is, absolutely, yes, yes. And yeah. then, and this then, you know, heightens that, uh, the, the way that we see things, the way that we re- react to those situations. Mm. And, and, I, and I guess that's, we're talking about these are the symptoms of stress, which lead on to then uh, our behaviours that come from that and how we deal with it. Yes. Uh, and and I, I guess that's, that's, that's different for everybody, isn't it? It's um, some people, I suppose, will will react maybe in a in a almost um, opposite manner to they normally um, that mm. they normally are. So they might become more aggressive than they normally are. Or I guess there's the other way where some people might sort of retreat into um, you know just going very quiet, maybe. Absolutely, yes, mm. yes, and 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 then I, you know, so it is on an individual basis. You know, we have an individual responsibility to be aware of that, mm. um, and I think that's you know when we start looking at what we do for managers in organisations, and we we go in and we, we we help managers to spot these early warning signs in their in their staff, and that's not about you know um, actually accusing staff and saying to them, I think you're stressed. It's just being aware of those, those subtle things that start to, to, to change. Um, but the, the key part of it, of course, uh, which is the really important part, is, is knowing that in yourself. Um, mm. and, and, and that is the bit that is, is so important when you're looking at personal or individual well-being. Yes, uh, absolutely. So if we're talking about this in more of a like a, a structured way is there a way that or a model that we can um think about as to how we can put this into some sort of sort of plan yes i think so i think that um the, the, let's say that the, the main the main thing for me is to you know get people to think generally about um, i sort of call it the the sort of the eight arms um i, I get people very much to to be thinking about first of all their their, their mindset so you know how 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 do i how do, how do i react um is is my way of thinking more optimistic or do I tend to be more pessimistic in the way that I actually react to situations? Um, and, and so I think my, the mindset is, is really important. The other thing that I think has a big impact in is often, again, when we look at this inner dialogue, um, can I control the situation that's going on around me? Or can I influence the situation that's going on around me? Um, and I need to examine and recognize that. And if I, if, if I can't do that, then I've got to let that go. And, and so, you know, that goes into question yourself. So can I change the situation? And that might be even just relating to your thought processes to that situation. Could I influence that situation? Or I, and, 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 and the other one there, of course, is that if I, if I can't do any of those things, then I've got to accept that that's the way that it is for this moment in time. The next arm that I look at is, is very much about the body. 
um, you know, laughter, smiling, the times we, we spend with people rather than it being something that's more sort of media based on our phones. We know that exercise is good for us, mindfulness, relaxation. Um, what we feed our body with, um, you know, the, the, the refined sugars will have an energy spike and then an energy low. How do we prioritize our time? Where's your little bit of me time? And we shouldn't feel guilty about that. Um, thinking again, going back to our diet, you know, the, the stimulants that we tend to put in. Uh, again, if we look at our trigger points, it may well be that our alcohol intake increases when we're feeling more stress. Um, it may be that, that we are our caffeine intake. Um, it may be that, um, you know, again, um, people around us, you know, we, we tend to get absorbed in all of their sort of negativity. So what are the things that we need to be thinking about uh, avoiding? Um, have I set myself any goals? So I suppose this links back into motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, where is where is my motivation? Um, and then the last arm that I talk about um, in, in giving somebody a plan is support. And sometimes, you know, we can get that support from families and sometimes we need it from professionals. And that might be therapy, that might be coaching, that might be counselling, you know, all, all of those different things. So I think for me, I tend to, to do help people put together a, a bit of what I call a mind map and use all of those eight arms and get them to check in and have a look at, at what's actually going on. Mm. And interestingly, I pick up on that um um, the people around us and having connections um, and it, some people have the, the coping mechanism of, of going back into their shell uh, and actually that could be counterproductive can't it absolutely and and, yeah. and we you know we see we see this a lot sadly you know with with the statistics that we currently can look at from mm. you know from mind where they tell us you know at any time one in four people can be in a state of poor mental well-being um, and that, yes, internalizing those thought processes and, and, and having what we call inappropriate thinking styles, um, again, can have a big sort of impact on our, on our well-being. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. So I think um, at this point, it'd be interesting or, or, or a good point to, th- to mention that you're in the process of writing a book. I'm not sure where, what stage you're at. Are you, are you completed or is it we- just... We are. I think we're nearly completed. Yes, I've been invited to write a book with James Sale, who, as you know, actually created the the motivational maps. And we are looking at a book called Mapping Motivation for for Leadership. Um, So I I believe at this stage it's gone off to the printers and we're just waiting now for for what happens next. How how exciting. So is there, can you give us a a snippet from what we can expect from that book? Um, It's all about leadership. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the things I think was really important is that when, when James and I looked at the book, you know, one of the things that, that James was, was uh, very interested in making sure that we included in the book was about the well-being of the leader. And, um, you know, leadership is, is, is a difficult topic to, to write about because there's so much research around it. Um, and, um, you know, it, it shifts in different directions at different times. Um, I think at the moment, I think what's very interesting is that 
um, you know, people um, in, in the UK are now questioning perhaps some of our great leaders that we, we would actually think, you know, as somebody perhaps like Churchill or Nelson, etc. Um, and, and now looking at, well, were they or weren't they? So I think constantly all of these questions are being asked. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, when we look at all these different sort of theories and practices was trying to bring something together that was practical, that was understandable um, for people to actually take on board and, and say, if I do this, if I actually practice this, I could be a great leader. And, and the model that, that we've used, which actually James used in, um, in his first book, Mapping Motivation, um, is, is actually what, what we call the four plus one model. And this four plus one model, all right, there are four key skills um, that, that we believe leaders need to master. And they are thinking, so how they think, doing how they do it, building their teams and working with their teams, so team building, and motivating. <laughs> Obviously, I talked about a plus one. So the plus one... All right, is, is the profound attribute of self-awareness. So it's all about that self-growth. It's about your mindset. Um, so, you know, we, we, we know that, you know, with, with, with leadership, the elements very much link into, you know, that motivation and that, and that energy. We can't really do anything w without that. Um, and, and so if a leader is, is poorly motivated, it will affect their own well-being, but also over time, it will also affect their employees. And so gradually what we start to see is, 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 is a loss of performance and, and a drop in, in, in productivity. And, and for me, that, that, you know, the, the well-being of the, of the leader has a huge impact on the well-being of the, of the team. Yeah, and it's like a tr trickle down process, isn't it? Mm. If it's if it starts at the, the leadership level, then it's bound to affect as uh, you know down through the organisation. However big that organisation, even if it's only a small team, if the leader isn't in the right place, motivated, um, it uh, it's gonna gonna have an effect on pretty much everybody in that team because they're yes. not in their best. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, and I think it's it's I I I, I, um, I suppose I liken it to also a bit like you know you drive down a road and, and suddenly that fog comes in, and it's a familiar road you've been down. But at that point, you know you 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 start to feel more anxious, don't you? You feel more sort of what's going on. I thought I knew this road, and I had a very interesting experience just lately. My my son is actually over in in Austria as a ski instructor, and I popped over to obviously see him and um we had four beautiful days of, of, of sun and uh, that built your confidence in what you were doing and your skiing technique and then on about the fourth day the the fog came down what they call a whiteout and so i'd skied those runs time and time and time and time again but i could see it was clear so it gave me that confidence and it gave me that energy and all of a sudden, you literally couldn't see five foot in front of you. And that, I think, then is where the skills then that we've learned are, are absolutely paramount to helping us, helping us through that fog um, and, and helping us to, 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 to not go off track 
when these sorts of things can actually can actually happen. And and it was quite you know physically again. I suppose if we go into those 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 triggers that we've talked about, Mark already. You know physically, you know you go back to the basics. Um, your your behaviour is oh my gosh, you know this is this is scary, this is frightening. And then you know we might be thinking emotionally, can I actually do this? And yet the previous days. It was simple and it was easy. And I think, you know, I, I got down that mountain and I thought that really to me is something that is, is actually about leadership. How do we then manage when all that fog comes around us? How do we actually manage though? What are our core skills? And I think for me, this four plus one model is, is all about those core skills that when, when it becomes challenging, uh, then we can, we've got a, a base, you know, we've got a foundation that enables us to, to carry on. But, and and the, the plus one is so important, the self-awareness. Is that it doesn't matter how much thinking, doing, team and motivation you're doing, if you're not in the right place, yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the, the start, the starting point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess that's um, where a lot of people maybe go wrong and that they're, they're not probably uh, investing in themselves enough or put themselves as a priority um and it's it goes back to this that the um when you get on the aircraft scenario which has been mentioned in previous podcasts is that you know if you don't put your own mask uh, oxygen mask on first uh, to make sure you're in a good place then you're not going to you know eventually you're not going to be any good to anybody so make sure you put yourself uh in in a good place so that you can actually help others uh, which, which goes back again to that individual, you know, mapping profile, as I call it, that, that you know, your own prioritizing your own time management, you know, as, as a leader, um, you know, are you pinging off emails to your staff at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night? You know, when do you turn your phone off? Um, you know, when do you put in, you know, the, the techniques that are going to help you to manage your own well-being? And if you're managing your own well-being effectively, we know that plus one, that self-awareness, you are going to be a better leader. Mm, excellent. So I'm looking forward to uh, reading your book, Jane. I'm sure there's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, a great read. And, and uh, from the previous books I've, I've read that James has co-written, uh, they're packed full of uh, value uh, and highly recommended. Yeah. Um, so uh, unfortunately, time is running out, as usual, there is these things. Um, we've already covered a great deal of um, uh, information here. Uh, and I think what we only, well, we, not what we think, it's actually what I always do, is actually end these podcasts with three top tips. So what, what would be those three top tips that you would leave uh, people, people that are listening to this podcast, so they can actually put their well-being uh, as as a priority in some way. Yeah, I, I think it's quite interesting because it's there's sort of I suppose there's three top tips for for you as an individual generally, but also I think there are also the top tips in in how you help to manage the well-being of your staff. So I think on an individual basis, as a leader, um, you know, good sleep is is really important. Um, Having a what I call a relaxation or a recovery tool, so something like practicing things like relaxation and mindfulness, you know, the benefits are huge. Um, looking at your work-life balance. So when you turn off from that workplace, 
do you ever turn your phone off or your laptop or, or you stop taking emails at a certain time? So I think for me, it's, it's very much around, around that. Uh, those, I think, would be my sort of top tips for, for the leader. And then I think for the leader in helping to look at their staff's well-being, I think it's, it's increasing that emphasis on being that empathetic leader. So being that, what I call that leader coach, you know, looking out for the things that, that are, um, you know, going on around you. Um, knowing about your staff motivators, I think, has a huge impact on, on staff well-being. Um, definitely leading, again, leading by, by example. And then the last one for me is that, um, you know, that work-life balance. So mm. that, you know, allowing your staff, you know, to have that, that work-life balance, I think is absolutely crucial to, as mm. we know, motivation, performance, productivity, and a happy workplace. Absolutely. And, and it's showing an example, isn't it? You know, if you're leading yes. a team, you've got to show them the, the right Absolutely. ways to do things and you can't expect yeah. people to do things that you're not doing. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Which, is, yes. which is a life lesson that we should all take uh, forward um, and make the most of. Well, thank you ever so much, uh, Jane, for your time today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope that we get another chance to chat at some point in the future. Um, so, but for now, uh, I will say cheerio and uh, see you soon. Thank you very much, Mark, and great to talk to you as well. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to leave a review. Don't forget to check out The Reluctant Leader Project at www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. Make a note to start, stop or continue doing whatever struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be.